Man, triumphal entry week. This is the start of the passion week. Uh, this is just huge. And uh, I can't, you know, what's really amazing is that some people ask, well, why do Christians have church on Sunday? It's because it, well, in the Jewish calendar, it's the first day of the week. But on Sunday is when Jesus resurrected. And so Christians determined to have church on Sundays so that they could celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every week. And so to be honest with you, it's kind of Easter every week. Um, when it comes to church, but we love to, we love Easter here in America, and we love to celebrate Easter as churches. And so, um, some of you might be saying, "Well, Easter's not until next Sunday," but I'm already in Easter mode. I'm just so excited and so blessed um, uh, just to be here at the Crown Plaza. This is our second year celebrating the Easter month here at this church, and. It's, a, it's by God's grace that we're here. We are um, no longer a church plant. I stopped calling ourselves that because we've already been planted. And so now God is growing us and watering us. And uh, man, we, if this is your first time here, um, I know uh, Kat said hello, but I want to welcome you here. Um, I am so blessed that, and I'm so blessed by those of you that are here every Sunday, that you would wake up and that you would come to hear the word of the Lord and uh, just so excited. And so with that being said, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew uh, chapter 21. And then you could kind of just hold it there because I just want to make a couple of opening comments this morning. But um, today, churches around the country and really uh, this last couple of days, churches around the world, Christian churches, we celebrate a day that we call Palm Sunday. And it's the day that we commemorate. It's the day that we commemorate our King Jesus Christ riding into his capital city, Jerusalem. But it's also a day to celebrate, and it's also a day to reflect, because today also um, initiates what would be the final week of Jesus Christ's life. Um, this initiates the final days before Jesus Christ would die on the cross. And so before we get into this morning's message and get into this morning's text, I kind of want to just ask you to consider some things with us um, in the next couple of, in the, in the next week or so. And I want to personally invite you to experience Good Friday with the body of Christ. I want to invite you as a pastor, if you don't have anywhere to go this Friday at 7.30 p.m., I want to invite you to consider experiencing Good Friday with us here at the Crown Plaza. We'll be here at 7.30. I think it's going to be a powerful evening where we are going to look back and reflect on the cross of Christ. We're going to worship, and then we're going to take communion together as a family. How powerful will it be to take communion literally on the day that commemorates Christ's crucifixion? And so we'll be here 7.30 um, this Friday, and we really want to ask, if you want to come back, would you please consider joining us to experience that together? And the second thing is Easter Sunday. We'll be only a couple of days away from that Good Friday, and I am especially excited for Easter Sunday. Um, I'm excited for the worship. I'm excited for an illustrated sermon that I believe God's really going to move through. And I'm also excited our very own Jeffrey Bogus is going to be given a spoken word. And such a, he, he does such an amazing job and so but here's what here's what I really kind of here's what I really want to um, also implore you with will you consider not just coming but will you consider inviting somebody yeah. cool thank you a few of you will you, <laughs> and you don't have to clap but I will you just in your mind I know you're some of you are like well my heart is clapping Pastorville. okay deal will you consider inviting somebody and here's what I want you to say uh, here's what I want you to see don't underestimate the power of the gospel being preached on Easter Sunday 
Don't underestimate that. And so bring somebody that wouldn't normally go on Easter. They might just come. Um, and more oftentimes than not, people are willing to come um, on Easter Sunday. And so, again, two experiences. This Friday, we're going to have communion and worship together to commemorate the day Christ was crucified. And then on Easter Sunday, we'll be here um, just having a beautiful time together celebrating the resurrection. Amen? And so uh, I think... That Good Friday and Easter Sunday are so important to redemptive history that we tend to overlook the significance of today, Palm Sunday. Because the resurrection and the death of Jesus really, if you think about it, your birthday, all of time revolves around the resurrection and death of Jesus. And it is paramount to redemptive history. And so I don't want to take anything away, but I think because it is so powerful, so important, so paramount to our faith that it kind of could take away the beauty and the power of what took place on Palm Sunday. You see, what happened today over 2,000 years ago was so significant that every gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, determined to write about it. You see, I'm sure you may or may not have known this, but there are several things that Jesus did that maybe one gospel writer will write, but the others will leave out. But Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, was written and recorded in all four gospels. It was so powerful and so momentous to the apostles, to the disciples. They had to tell us more about it. And you see, let me tell you why it was so powerful. And again, this morning, I'm going to talk about uh, the triumphal entry, Pump Sunday, the significance of it, and why it was so powerful. You see, a thousand years of prophetic anticipation, a thousand years of excitement, a thousand years of expectation was fulfilled on one moment, in one moment, on top of a donkey, and with a shout of Hosanna. A thousand years of prophetic expectation fulfilled in one moment on top of a baby donkey with a shout of Hosanna. And so let's get into the scripture. Before we do that, can, can we pray together and ask the Lord just to, just to breathe through his word? Heavenly Father, we are just expecting you to speak because every time we open up your word and we read it, it brings life. And liberty. And so I just thank you for your son, Jesus, the obedient Savior, the suffering Son of Man, who came riding lowly in on a donkey. And Lord, I pray that your words would be spoken louder than mine. And I pray that every heart and every mind would receive a translation of the message through the Holy Spirit. May you just touch. Uh, every, every hurting heart, may you bless every heart in this building this morning, and may you speak through me. In Jesus' matchless name we pray, and everybody in the house said amen. amen. Come on, everybody in the house said amen. 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 Come on, let's give the Lord a praise. Amen. Matthew 21, and if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll have it up here for you as well. But if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along. Matthew 21, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Um, And it reads like this. When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. 
And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. How you like that, huh? <laughs> Go steal a donkey. No, I'm kidding. That's a, <laughs> basically, untie the donkey, take the donkey. No one says, hey, look, that's my donkey. Look at them and say, hey, the Lord needs them. <laughs> so if anyone says to you, uh, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. Now, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. Can I pause right there for one moment? This phrase is indicative of Matthew. When all the gospel writers sat down to write the gospels, they all had an audience in mind. They had a demographic in mind. Are you with me? And so when Matthew began to write his gospel, he was thinking about his Jewish people. And so when he wrote, he didn't write it to you. Now, we're all blessed by it. But his initial, he says, I'm going to write a story about the life of Christ, and I'm going to write it with my people, the Jews, in mind. And so what's characteristic about the gospel of Matthew, whenever you see the gospel of Matthew, you will sometimes find the phrase, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. You see, Matthew knows that when the Jews read this, they're going to automatically think of the Old Testament. The Gentiles had no idea who prophets are. What are you talking about? And they had, the Gentiles had no clue what's a prophet and, and who spoke it. But when the Jews read this, they would immediately go back to the Old Testament. Are you with me? So Matthew says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl, the beast, the burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colts and put on them their cloaks and sat on them. And he sat on them. Now he sat on the cloaks, not on both donkeys. I want you guys to think he was kind of riding on both donkeys there. And he sat on the cloaks, so he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread those on the road too. Now, I want you to... I want you to ask yourself, where did the red carpet come from? You know, people walk the red carpet. Uh, when, when, when the president comes, if you ever see a president coming out of Air Force One, there's usually a procession and there's usually a military salute and there's usually something laid out for him to walk on. You see, throughout history, mighty men and men of power and royalty would walk on something signifying that they were of honor. And so here we have the people putting their cloaks on the ground and putting what we would call these palm, breech, palm branches. Actually, John tells us they were palm branches and laying them on the road. So others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and the crowds that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, again, I kind of keep coming in and out of the text, but I kind of want to give you just a picture of what's going on. Scripture says that there were crowds in front of him and that there were crowds behind him. And so I want to give you a picture of what was taking place. The crowds that were behind him were the crowds that were following him because he had just resurrected Lazarus from the dead. 
You ever see a crowd maybe in Las Vegas gather around a magician? Maybe when the, you know, is it David Blaine? Is that a magician? Help me out here. And you remember those days when he used to do some amazing feats, right? And maybe he was holding his breath underwater for several days. However the case may be, I, he, he would do some incredible things. And, uh, and on the streets, people begin to gather and they begin to think, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. This is amazing. And all of a sudden, a crowd would gather around. Well, I want you to know that Jesus Christ did the most amazing thing. He overcame death by taking a man who had been dead for more than three days and resurrecting him. And the whole region begin to rumble and think to themselves a dead man that was verified dead has been resurrected we've never seen this before i mean talk about a magic trick right but this wasn't a magic trick amen and so what happened was this huge he already had followers but this huge crowd began to follow him and he was, it was so powerful what he did that witnesses ran ahead and began to tell, here comes a prophet who's raised the dead. And ultimately, it reached the ears of Jerusalem. And so not only were there people following him, but there were people also waiting for him. You with me? Let's continue to read. And so this crowd yells, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, whenever I read the Gospels, I absolutely love it when I come across the question, Who is this? Because you see, this is the narrator's way of saying something significant, something weighty has just taken place. Pay close attention to what just happened because it reveals something beautifully powerful about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who is this that is causing this uproar? Who is this that is turning Jerusalem upside down? He hasn't even got here yet. Who is this that is receiving praises from thousands of people and fulfilling prophecy from thousands of years ago. Now, before we go forward, I have to paint you another picture of the size and significance of the city, Jerusalem. Let me tell you about the size of Jerusalem. You see, during the time of Christ, and if you hear the kids getting down over there, that's all good. During the time of Christ, Jerusalem's population averaged around 40,000 people. Are you with me? But in this story, the nation was in the midst of one of its most epic celebrations, the Passover. Now, let me tell you something about the Passover. That was the party, y'all. I know you guys don't really understand, but if you were a Jew in those times, the Passover was the place to be. And what would happen was Jews scattered from all over the, all over the known world during Passover would come back to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem would swell up and very conservatively, some numbers suggest, and this is conservative, some people believe there was more, some numbers suggest that Jerusalem would swell up to six times its number. That means in Jesus' time, Jerusalem held about 40,000 people, but at the time of Jesus' triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, conservatively we're thinking that there might have been 240,000 people in Jerusalem 
Now, that's just an idea of the size of Jerusalem. You can understand the city is rumbling. Let's talk about the significance of Jerusalem. Let me tell you something. This city was the heartbeat of Judaism. Jerusalem was the heart of, the Jude- of Judaism. Jerusalem is Zion. Jerusalem is the city of David. Uh, Jerusalem is home to the temple and the place where the presence of God would dwell. But can I tell you something? To Jesus, Jerusalem was a death sentence. Do you know that? Did you know that to Jesus, Jerusalem was a death sentence? So while the crowd was cheering in adoration, Jesus maybe was thinking about, in five short days, I'll be crucified. And so if we could just step out a moment and give you the big picture, God in the flesh is entering Zion itself. The son of David is coming to the city of David. The holy one is now stepping foot into the holy place. And during this profound moment, the city was bursting at the seams with people. God knows how to make an entrance. And when he makes an entrance, he knows how to make a statement. Now, with that in mind, what do you think? What would Jesus do next? The king is coming to his capital. The holy one is coming to the holy place. The son of David is coming to the house of David. Uh, What would he do next? Now, scripture tells us he borrows a baby donkey. (laughs) He borrows a baby donkey to ride on. And again, if you weren't Jewish and you didn't understand Old Testament prophecy, you might think that to be a little ridiculous. Why would a king entering his capital city choose to enter that city by way of a donkey? Matthew tells us because Jesus was fulfilling a thousand-year-old prophecy. Let's turn to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And again, we'll have it up here. If you could turn quickly, if not a problem, we'll have it up here. But again, why would the king, why, forget king, why would the God of the universe, out of everything he majestically created, would choose to ride in on a donkey? Well, he's filling a th- fulfilling a thousand-year-old prophecy. See, the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 9, 9 said this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Are you ready for this? Because I'm excited. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Zechariah is telling us two things about this coming Messiah. A thousand years before he came, Zechariah says, number one, he will be righteous and he will have with him salvation. What do I mean by that? I mean, this man will be sinless and without any guilt. He'll be the ideal ruler, amen? He'll ensure that God's people will not miss God's blessing. And with him, he'll come, he'll have salvation. Literally, he'll bring to Jerusalem deliverance from their oppressors. Secondly, Zechariah prophesies, not only will he have righteousness and salvation with him, but Zechariah says this righteous deliverer will come humbly by way of a donkey. Now, wait a minute. Wait just a second. 
this doesn't even feel right. Um, you know, maybe the prophet heard wrong, right? Some prophet they hear wrong. Amen? No? Never been, never been a victim of that? You know, some people hear wrong every now and again. It's like, wait a minute, okay. He's going to come with righteousness, and he's going to come with deliverance, and he's going to come humbly and riding on a baby donkey. Are you sure about that, Zachariah? Are you sure you didn't drink the crazy juice? Why am I saying this? Why am I emphasizing this so much? No king in his right mind would ever choose to enter into his city with a holy entourage riding on some stank, low-class, Eeyore, some of y'all like Eeyore, ugly-looking baby donkey. Hey, can I tell that's like going to prom in a Pinto, right, instead of a stretch limo. And no offense to anybody who's ever owned a Pinto, and if you still got one, praise the Lord, right? You're humble, amen? That's like, where's my, my motorcycle riders in here, right? I don't know nothing about it, but that's like going on, a, going on a ride in the streets in a moped instead of a Harley. Are you understanding the difference here? Like Jesus chose the moped and the Pinto. <laughs> but I, here's, what I, here's what I think the significance, well, I know the significance is, Jesus wasn't just fulfilling prophecy, you guys. He was also making a statement. By entering the city on the back of a donkey, Jesus was not only telling Jerusalem, I am the Messiah your prophet spoke of, but he was telling the world, I am not like any other king, and my kingdom is unlike any other method that you've ever experienced or expected. I want you to think, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. A donkey is a servant. <laughs> it's a working class animal. There's nothing spectacular about a donkey. Hardly the kind of animal that personifies royalty. And, but if you look beyond the surface, you'll see a gentle yet powerful animal. You'll see an animal that's been referred to as a beast of burden. Why? Because this beast of burden is a beast of rugged service and strength built to carry heavy loads. Now, I want, you, I want you to hear this. There was a time in Genesis and in the book of Judges when wise men rode donkeys. But what happened was in the days of Solomon, y'all know Solomon, the greatest king that ever, the wisest king that ever walked this earth. You guys know what I'm talking about, Solomon? Solomon had perfected and Solomon had built majestic stables and he was able to reproduce majestic breeds of horses. And since the days of Solomon, kings and wise men and royalty stopped riding on donkeys and started to ride on majestic horses. Kings only rode steeds. Let me give you a bit of a history lesson that I think is quite incredible. If you follow Alexander the Great, you'll know that when he conquered a city, usually he would ride into the conquered city on the back of a war horse. That's what I would ride in on, on the back of a steed, a muscular, powerful war horse. And you know what sometimes he would do? He would take the captured soldiers and he would parade them in front. 
And he would come in riding on his majestic war horse. And the conquered people of that city would look down and see their champions captured and their new king who was coming to rule with an iron fist. He was a warlord. Now, this is why Palm Sunday is so significant. And why the prophetic sign of the donkey is so moving. And I don't mean the democratic donkey, y'all. Right? Jesus kicked the elephant and the donkey where the sun don't shine. Amen? Some of y'all didn't like that. It's okay. You know I always go at it. I slide my passive-aggressive punches. A low-class or undignified, as low class or undignified as it may seem, it expresses the beauty of the gospel and the nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus, our Prince of Peace. Scratch that. Jesus, our King of Peace, enters Jerusalem purposefully forsaking the war horse and deliberately choosing instead to ride in on a donkey. You see, the kingdom of God is not a reign of corrupt political systems. The kingdom of God is not multiplied through carnal warfare. The kingdom of God achieves victory and it achieves peace through the demonstration of sacrificial love by its king. No wonder why the prophet starts off by saying, rejoice. And no wonder why the people can't help but shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. This is why. John chapter 12, verse 12 through 13 says this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Crowds ahead and crowds behind. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out. Again, I'm going to say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel. Now I want you to see this. Three significant signs have taken place in this moment. Number one, the donkey. Did you know some scholars, they counted as many as 1,200 prophecies with respect to the coming Messiah and the Old Testament were fulfilled by Jesus. And Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey was a fulfillment of one of those messianic expectations. The donkey. Number two, the palms. Let me see your palms, y'all. We pay good money for these, huh? <laughs> Wave them twice, all right? <laughs> Thank you. Take them home. Take a picture of them. Hashtag, you know, do something with them. <clears throat> if we could justify to the board why we paid so much, amen? <laughs> Some of y'all are like, give me my offering back, y'all. Come on, come on, amen. But the palm, here's the palm. And let me tell you why the palm is so important. Not this palm, this one, okay? And some of you, again, you might have been wondering why the palm. I get it, it's Palm Sunday. But to the Jew, the palm, and some say that the palm that the, that the people were, were cutting off were about 10 feet long. Can you imagine that? I mean, don't hit them, right? The palm is celebratory symbol indicating victory over one's enemy. It's a victorious symbol. It 
it, it indicates triumph, victory over your oppressor, victory over your enemy. And so when they were waving them at Jesus in that moment, it meant that they were hailing him as the promised king, the one who had salvation with him, the son of David, the one that the Old Testament prophets had talked about. This was our Messiah, and he was coming in with salvation in his hand. And so they not only waved the palm, but they threw the palm down as he rode over the top of the palm as if it were a red carpet for your favorite celebrity to ride through. But of course they said, Hosanna. Partnered with the waving of the palm was the recital of this praise. Where did this come from? Again, these people, they're Jewish. They understand. We're just thinking they, picked the, they just picked the word and yelled. No, this came from Psalm, Psalm 118. This was a Psalm that David had penned. Psalm 118, 25 through 26. It reads like this. Save us, we pray. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray. Give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm going to say it again. Save us. We pray, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray. Give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I want you to know, where does Hosanna come from? Hosanna is Hebrew. And it means say, oh, save us or save now. So every time you say Hosanna, you say save now or save us. Now, to put what's taking place into perspective, the waving of the palms partnered with the shouting of the psalms was associated with the coming of the Messiah like fireworks are associated with Independence Day. So what was the problem? This is a beautiful moment, amen? Like, why five days later is he going to die? What's the problem here? What's going on? You see, here he was at the height of his popularity, and the people seemed to be accept, accepting him as their legitimate Messiah. Why didn't he just take the throne right then and there? I mean, everybody was willing to crown him king. He was coming in, riding on a donkey. They were yelling, save now. Thousands upon thousands in Jerusalem were coming to see him. This was a perfect opportunity. They were waiting for him to march the donkey all the way to the temple and take his place on the seat of royalty and declare war on Rome. So what was the problem? Why didn't he just take the throne? Well, I want to give you, I want to finish this morning by giving you five reasons why Jesus wasn't the Messiah they wanted, but he was the one they desperately needed. I want to give you five reasons why Jesus is the Messiah you may not even want, but he's the Messiah that you desperately need this morning. Reason number one, he's a different kind of king. Why? Why wasn't he the Messiah they wanted, but the one they needed? Because he wasn't the kind of king that they expected. He was a different kind of king. He was one who rules through service and conquers through sacrifice. He was one who chooses to come not as a majestic, on top of a majestic steed, but on the top of a lowly donkey. Can you listen to the words of Isaiah 53, 2 verse 3? It says this. You ready? He had no beauty or majesty detract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and held in low esteem. You see, Jesus wasn't man's choice. He was God's choice. And his mission wasn't to win over the hearts of the people through a popularity contest, but through death on a cross. And Gigi, if you could come up, I want you, I want you we are so self-centered and we have so much, this, the sin of depravity inside of us. We want a king who looks good, sounds good, talks good, says the right things. We want a king who knows what to do at the right time. We want a king in which everybody loves and appreciate a king who stands tall in stature, a king who's good looking. We want a king that looks good on the outside, but is corrupt on the inside. And you don't have to look no further than every election cycle we have in America. I'm not, I don't have a problem with democracy. I love the, our country. But what I can get so frustrated is we look to a man or a woman to do what only the Messiah can do. And it, and it makes me sick. But I want to tell you something. That's our nature. Because Jesus is the king that nobody wanted, but we all so desperately needed. He didn't come in the way we wanted him to come in. He didn't dress the way we wanted him to dress, and he didn't win the popularity contest the way that we want him to win it. Number two, not only was it a different kind of king, but he had a different kind of kingdom. A different kind of kingdom. What do I mean by that? I don't know if you remember, but there's a famous exchange in Scripture between Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor of Jerusalem, and Jesus, the day he was to be crucified. And in that exchange, they philosophized about truth. It's a really interesting conversation they have. Pilate asks, what is truth? And Jesus and Pilate have a conversation. But before they talk about truth, Pilate asked Jesus a question. You guys remember this story? He asked Jesus this, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, well, who's asking? You? Or is that what you heard everybody saying? Are you asking or is that what you've heard the Pharisees? And is that what you heard the authorities of Jerusalem saying he thinks he's a king? Is this something you're honestly asking from the heart? Or is this something that you heard? Is this something I'm being accused of? And you're asking, who wants to know? And kind of in a defensive posture, a defensive tone, Pilate, Pilate replies, look, I'm not a Jew. Don't look at me. Your own people delivered you to me. You said you're the king of them and they hate you. And at this point, Jesus makes a profound statement regarding the nature of his kingdom. Remember, he's a different kind of king with a different kind of kingdom. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting right now. That I might be delivered over to them. But my kingdom is not of this world. He says, if I was a king, if my kingdom was of this world, you'd see my servants fighting right now to free me. 
He says, but I'm not a king here. I'm king somewhere else. I'm a greater king. I'm not, I don't, not the king you expected, and my kingdom is not the kingdom that you expected. See, not only was Jesus a different king, but his system of government was out of this world. You see, Pilate, he asked this question because he's concerned about Jesus' intentions. He's concerned because as Roman governor over an occupied region, if Jesus were to start a rebellion, Caesar would have Pilate hung. And so Pilate's concerned. Are you going to start trouble? There's some concern in there. Are there gonna, is there going to be a revolt? But Jesus reassures Pilate, it's not that kind of kingdom. It's not that kind of kingdom. Please, Pilate, don't. Don't be confused. My kingdom is not to be confused with uh, military power or political ambition. That's not my kind of kingdom. He says, my kingdom primarily and first is a spiritual kingdom. What does that mean? Number three, this means that the people of Israel misunderstood the salvation the Messiah was bringing. You see, a different kind of king from a different kind of kingdom was bringing a different kind of salvation. So when the crowd picked up the palms and laid down their cloaks and yelled Hosanna on the streets, they fully anticipated Jesus to ride into the city, take his place on the throne, and orchestrate a full-out military revolt against the Roman occupation. But Jesus came to wage a different kind of war. Not a carnal war, but a spiritual war. He came to disarm a different kind of enemy, not Caesar, but Satan. And he came to free them from a different kind of slavery, not Rome, but sin. Different kind of king, different kind of kingdom, bringing a different kind of salvation. And this is the definition right here of so close, but so far. They missed the mission because they misunderstanded what they needed most a different kind of peace on the night before Jesus was to be crucified he gathered his disciples and he gave them some final instructions before they faced the biggest test of their faith we're told in John 14 verse 18 that Jesus said to them I will not leave you as orphans And if you read later on in verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give you. You see, what the nation wanted was superficial peace, but what Jesus was giving was supernatural peace. Peace with God himself. I want you to hear this out because everything, the crux of this message lands right here. Before I placed my faith in Christ, I was at war with God. My mind was at war with God. My heart rejected his wisdom and my sin was more important to me than his word. Regardless of how much I tried to justify myself, the truth is I was not God's friend. I was his enemy and there was nothing I could do in my own power to change that. This is primarily why Christ came. This is primarily why Christ died. So that you and I, through faith, could experience the most important peace. And the only peace that could settle troubled souls. See, since I placed my faith in Christ, I, my soul rests 
assured knowing that I'm no longer in rebellion to my maker. That no matter what storm comes, no matter what circumstances thrown my way, even in facing death, I can have an unusual peace and an unusual peace because I have an unusual hope. Hear me out. If I am at peace with God, I can be at war with anything or anyone else and still find rest. If I'm at peace with God, I could be at war. I could be in a situation I don't understand. I could be losing my job and my house. I can face death and it may mess me up, but deep down, my soul is secure because I am at peace with my maker. And I can walk around knowing at the end of the day, my soul is satisfied knowing that if I die tonight, if I lose it all, then I'm at peace with God. John Birch wrote, he calls it the paradox of Palm Sunday. And we're finishing here. Please listen to what he wrote. What a strange paradox. The king is coming. The people rejoice singing Hosanna in the highest, yet fail to understand that the king they welcome is the servant king. The king who washes his disciples' feet. The king who came not with an army, but a weapon so powerful that not even death could resist. The sacrificial love of God laid out upon a cross. Lord God, as we sing our Hosannas today, as we sing our hosannas today may we remember also that which you were riding toward suffering and rejection pain and humiliation the cruel cross and let us look forward to the joy of Easter day when you rose from the death from death to reign forever help us as we daily lay our lives before you to live the resurrection life that acknowledges Jesus as Lord and King over our lives. Help us. What I want to do right now, if there's anybody today you feel at war with God, I want to give you a chance to be at peace with Him. Every head bow, just a, just a concentration place. I want to give someone I, I don't want to preach this message about the beauty of Christ and not give anyone an opportunity and if you ever wonder what's, the, what's this whole Jesus thing about what exactly why I want you to know this the primary reason why he came when he died on the cross is so that you through faith in him could be at peace with create the creator could be at peace with the father so you could leave this place today and not be at war with God and you could be at war on every other side but if you're at peace with God, you make it through. So with every head bowed and eye closed, I'm going to give you just a moment just to reflect. And then I want to pray over you, man. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Father. We worship you. We praise you, God. Lord, I pray that anybody who's going through anything right now, 
I pray, Father, right now that there's anyone that feels far from you this morning. They came to church today. They didn't expect you to speak directly to them. But there's something inside of them that's been warring with you. And they felt like everything in their life has been wrong. And even there might be some here that think everything is right, but I still can't figure something out. Everything can be right, but if there's one thing wrong, this is what's amazing. As I'm just praying for you, we're getting ready. I want you to know this. Everything can go wrong, but if you're right with Jesus, you can find rest. And everything could go right. You can have all the money, all the power. You can have all the success you want. Everything could be going right. But if you don't have God, if you don't have peace with the Father, it could be all wrong. God, we love you so much. I thank you for what you're doing at Inspire Church. I thank you for what you're doing this Passion Week through us all. Lord, may we walk this week and think about you this entire week. Uh, may, may this week just be, un- may we be unusually sensitive to the cross. And as we come back as a family to break bread of communion on Friday, will you watch over us? Will you bring us as we commemorate your death? And as we come back for Easter, may we celebrate you. And may we all bring those that need to hear your love to Easter, God. May we bring them to you, Father. May the gospel be glorified and preached all over this country, all over California, all over the Bay Area. May the gospel of Jesus Christ be preached in the name above all names. What a beautiful Savior we have. We thank you. We love you. We glorify your name. You are Hosanna. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen. Man, God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you good Friday and Easter Sunday, man. Hallelujah.